And I think this is actually where one of the um, one of the first sort of problems of the book comes up, though, which is that well, the fascists are antagonistic, and we are merely agonistic. Uh, where we say if our goal is an egalitarian politics, our goal is the extension of democracy out of the sort of formal political sphere into the economic sphere. And their goal is absolute rule from luxurious space stations over a patchwork of ethnic Bantu stands from which they you know, occasionally take blood. Then aren't we still compromising them by allowing them any space or power at all? That is, at what point does Bezos give up, A, his wealth and influence voluntarily? When we say voluntarily, I don't mean giving it to charity or whatever. I mean deciding to obey a law requiring him to do so. And B, at what point does his refusal to do so cause regrettable antagonism? And moreover, at what point do we admit that the conditions of the Amazon warehouses are genuinely antagonistic to, to us as a class. When we see the Tories sort of killing 120,000 people through, well, no Tories, Lib Dems and the labor right, killing 120,000 people through austerity, at what point do we see that as antagonism? And by sort of mere, and by, with mere agonism, I say mere agonism, um, uh, are we sort of shooting ourselves in the foot? But you know, I, again, I, I can't pretend I know the answer to this question, but it is something that sort of was in the back of my mind while reading this whole thing. Because this is the problem and the fundamental contradiction of democratic socialism. At some way, at some point, sort of electorally driven democratic socialism requires the consent of the elites not to merely be diminished in their wealth and influence, but to stop being elites entirely. And I question whether or not this is possible. And therefore, we will be stuck in a rotation of improve and worsen as the elites sort of loosen and tighten their grip as we get sort of new deals and then welfare reform, as we get sort of um, uh, like uh, 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 Glass-Steagall and then Dodd-Frank and sort of ro- rolls, rolls back of protections. Uh, and, and rather than having their sort of metaphorical hands removed, not literal. Anyway, liberal political ontology, the, an ontology, if, again, if you don't know, is the field that's concerned of understanding the nature of what things are, fails to understand this, this sort of this fact that politics is, is, is about irreducible interests. It is, it is conflict. It is adversarial. So I'm, I'm moving back from my criticism, but move back to sort of what she's saying, that it's not a process of problem solving, but one of contestation, which is why I also frequently point out that the liberal dream is to have a 100% vote share because they would have solved all the problems with all of the right facts, right? Um, and I'm sort of going to, I'm going to go a little bit out of the book for a second though. I'm going to go into something that's happened recently, which is sort of the people's march. Um, the People's Vote March. Now, for the puzzling segment of our listenership that's American, um, as we all know, Brexit, uh, the Brexit vote occurred, uh, and we now live in the world of Brexit and Trump, if liberal um, op-ed writers are to be believed. Um, and the re- response to Brexit has been sort of manifold. Uh, one of the responses has been sort of what we've taken to calling continuity remain. Continuity remain is the sort of... Um, the political project of the liberal Democrats, the labor right, uh, the conservative party, sort of various sort of cosmopolitan liberal elites and so on and so on, 
um, who are, have got together and have said, no, we don't, we think that the Brexit vote was a bad idea. I mean, incidentally, I also do think it was a bad idea, but not in the same way they do. And so they're saying, okay, so what we need is a people's vote. We need another referendum. Now, this has been construed in sort of many different ways. Some have said, well, look, the people didn't have all, all the information when they voted, so we should actually do a second referendum to make sure we still care about it. I mean, incidentally, the opinion polls have swung, I think, in favor of Remain, but there's no guarantee Remain would win. It's hilarious. They just assume they would, uh, which I'll get into, actually. Um, and uh, 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 the other the other thing they want is uh, a referendum on the terms of the deal. It's like, okay, well, we just said leave. We didn't say how we'd leave. So the idea is, well, let's get a vote uh, that is going to say on the ballot paper, uh, yes, we, we, we leave with no deal, or we take this deal, or we stay in uh, entirely. So you know, it's, I mean, the whole thing is a completely fraught uh, idea, but there we go. They're sort of march for it sort of more or less all the time. Um, but let's think about this. This is the liberal wing of both parties. They're trying to go backwards in time, essentially, to the point when they were relevant. That is where the cleavage in politics, because every political group has a cleavage, whether they acknowledge it or not. It's always based on an us-them division. Um, and for them, the division was between politicians, so politicians like Chakurumana and Anna Subri, who are basically liberals who have sort of minor aesthetic disagreements over sort of how to be liberal, of how to manage capitalism, and so on and so on. Um, and the brutes who are sort of ruled, and it's for their sake that we rule, but it's also for their sake um, that we don't let them close to the ha handles of power because they don't read The Economist and they're going to fuck it up somehow. 